you have could be an autoimmune disease. Welcome to SBH Bronx Health Talk, produced by SBH Health System and broadcast from St. Barnabas Hospital in the Bronx. I'm Stephen Clark. Lupus, rheumatoid arthritis, fibromyalgia, musculoskeletal pain disorders, osteoporosis, myositis, gout. These are all autoimmune diseases that are diagnosed and treated by a rheumatologist, probably the least known specialty in medicine. Well, we're in luck today because we have a fellowship trained rheumatologist with us today in SBH Bronx Health Talk. Please welcome Dr. Lilia Ganjaber, an attending rheumatologist in the Department of Medicine at SBH. Thanks for joining us, Dr. Ganjaber. Thank you so much, Stephen. Thank you for having so, me. So, so let's, let's start out um, with the obvious question. What would tell you it's time to see a rheumatologist? Well, there are a few symptoms that uh, could drive a patient to come to a rheumatologist or for their primary care physicians to refer them to a rheumatologist. Most often, the patients may experience joint pain. It could be in one hand or both hands, and uh, also they may experience hand pain, foot pain, um, elbow pain, shoulder pain. So it could be diffuse or some part of their body that may be in pain associated with swelling. They may also experience loss of function of that particular body part, and it does not improve over time or it may worsen. Sometimes there may be occasions when they experience weakness. For example, um, an elderly patient is not able to comb their hair anymore because they experience severe shoulder pain and they also are unable to uh, climb stairs due to pain in their hips. Well, but wouldn't, uh, in many cases, the average patient, maybe the average primary care physician would, would send the patient to an orthopedist instead of a rheumatologist? That is correct. So they may first actually go to an orthopedist doctor or they may go to physical therapy. And upon evaluation, the orthopedist may not find a reason for their inability of climbing stairs. So when they do send the imaging uh, studies, there is no evidence that there is something wrong with their joints. So at that point, more investigation is necessary. The patient requires blood tests to evaluate for an autoimmune disease. How would you define an autoimmune disease? What exactly is it? In a simple way to put it, an autoimmune disease is a disease that is driven by the body's immune system. So, for instance, the patient may have been exposed to a virus, and as they have recovered from the viral infection, their body starts attacking their own body parts or organs. So, in my specialty, the patients primarily have joint pain. So their body is uh, attacking their joints and the joints become inflamed, swollen, painful. In some diseases, other body parts are also affected. For example, in lupus, they may have their central nervous system that is affected, their, their kidneys, their heart, lungs. In other diseases such as psoriatic arthritis, other than the joints and the spine, they may have their eyes that are affected. So th that's just to name a few. 
Is it a reaction to an environmental factor or is it something that would happen regardless because it's within the person itself? There is a risk factor. Genetically, we know that some patients are more susceptible. And currently, studies have shown that some viruses do increase the risk of getting certain autoimmune diseases, some environmental factors. Exposure to first-hand smoke or second-hand smoke could also increase the risk of getting an autoimmune disease. Did you find that COVID led to more autoimmune disease? Did you see any uptick during the pandemic? Not necessarily. We haven't, particularly COVID-19, we haven't noticed the increase of manifestation of joint problems in our patients. However, we have had patients come in complaining of increasing uh, fatigue and them being tired. And even when we do blood testing, we don't notice any evidence that there is an inflammatory process, but we do know that it exists currently after COVID-19. So it takes some time to resolve. Would it be fair to say that some of the diseases that you diagnose and treat are sort of diseases that either physicians or family members may say to the patient, you know, it's in your head that, you know, there doesn't seem to be a reason for this and, you know, maybe it's psychological. I mean, do you run into that? So one particular disease that it is more difficult to diagnose is fibromyalgia. And those patients end up seeing many specialists because in addition to them experiencing increasing fatigue and the diffuse body aches, they also experience headaches, gastrointestinal or gentourinary complaints. So they may have seen a neurologist, a gastroenterologist, or urologist or gynecologist without any evidence of a disease. However, those patients are pretty debilitated. So when it comes to fibromyalgia, these patients undergo numerous tests, they're unremarkable, and then when I get to see them physical examination, we do notice that these patients have tenderness in a particular body areas, and at that point, we do diagnose them with fibromyalgia. And when it comes to fibromyalgia, in terms of treatment, it's a multidisciplinary approach. They may also have uh, depression, so the psychiatrist is on board. We encourage the patient to participate in a physical therapy program, engage in aerobic exercise, meditation, as well as we initiate medication. That's interesting. Of the autoimmune diseases that you see, is rheumatoid arthritis the most common? Rheumatoid arthritis is one of the most common inflammatory disorders that I do see. And luckily nowadays, we do have more treatment available for our patients, more treatment options. And like never before, these patients' symptoms do improve remarkably. And we are able to avoid the deformities that we used to see years ago. Is rheumatoid arthritis primarily... Uh, seen early in life as opposed to later in life? Our research has shown that the incidence is actually what we call bimodal distribution. So it is common to see after the age of 20s or 30s, and then the numbers do decrease from about 40 to 50s, and then it does increase again after the age of 50s and 60s. 
Let's talk a little bit more about rheumatoid arthritis. How does it manifest itself? Who is most likely to, to be at risk? And how do you treat it? So the um, incidence is higher among female patients. And typically a patient will experience initially maybe insidious pain in their hands or other joints. And uh, later on, they do experience swelling, stiffness. They start noticing that they are not able to do certain things that they used to do. They become also very fatigued. Some may even have weight loss and they experience fever. If they do see a primary care physician or end up coming to a rheumatologist for a physical examination, we do find swelling in their joints. And with further testing, we're able to confirm the diagnosis of rheumatoid arthritis. Once the diagnosis is made, we initiate treatment. One of the most commonly treatment that we, the patients do receive are steroids. It will decrease their swelling and pain rapidly. However, we do not like to keep steroids on board for a long time, and, and we initiate other medications that have a safer side effect profile. And currently, we do have options that are oral medications, injections, and infusions that a patient can receive in order to have good disease control. If not treated, it gets progressively worse, right? So most patients will progress to having um, deformities in their hands. And depending on their disease, how aggressive it is, some even may have to go on disability as they may not be able to use their hands or ambulate. Some may need joint replacement. So diagnosing the disease early and starting treatment early would prevent these detrimental side effects. How do you diagnose it? Other than the physical examination, in order to confirm, also we do send some blood tests and we do see that there is an elevated inflammatory levels. And also we do see that particularly uh, there are antibodies present in the patient's blood. And these antibodies typically are the rheumatoid factor and the CCP. Some may have other antibodies present as well. About 20% of patients do happen not to have these antibody present. However, uh, their uh, physical exam findings are remarkable for the rheumatoid arthritis. So they fall into this other category called seronegative rheumatoid arthritis. However, the treatment is the same. Patients who don't have those antibodies present in their serum typically actually have a better disease course. They respond to treatment a little faster and tend not to have disabling or the deformities may not happen as aggressive as in the other uh, group of uh, patients. I guess early intervention is very important, right? Yes, absolutely. Let's move on. Let's talk about lupus. Now, from my limited knowledge of lupus, it can be a terminal disease, right? Yes, absolutely. So lupus is heterogeneous disease. Uh, there are patients who may have mild symptoms such as fatigue, rash, joint pain, and they're doing well while they're taking one or two drugs. On the other hand, we may have patients who have life-threatening symptoms if they are left untreated, especially that it may progress to death as well. Some patients may have 
central nervous system manifestations and seizures, strokes. They may have heart problems or kidney problems. Some may end up on uh, dialysis. So um, we do see that these patients frequently require hospitalizations to have them closely monitored and aggressive immunosuppressive treatment is started. Who is most at risk for lupus? Is it women also? Is it African-American women? So typically, overall, women are nine times more frequently affected than men. And not to undermine, but whenever men are diagnosed with lupus, their disease tends to be quite severe. Now, we do see lupus being present in African-Americans, Hispanic, Asian and the Caucasian population. However, we do see that the Hispanic and the African-American patient population have this disease uh, in a more severe form. And we do notice that even the treatment that we, the strongest treatment that we offer, they may not respond to the treatment. The treatment is medication primarily? Yes. Yes, the treatment is primarily, and that in, includes oral medication, infusions, medication. With lupus, does it tend to manifest itself at a younger age, or do you get it later in life? So the age distribution for lupus, it can actually manifest even in children. But typically, I do see it, you know, and in women of childbearing age, so any time after the age of 16 to about 50, this is the most common age when the patient may develop lupus. Is it typically genetic? Is it within the family that you see multiple cases of lupus? So studies have shown that there is clearly a genetic component. There is a sibling of a patient with lupus. Their uh, risk is 10 times more than the general population. For an identical twin, the risk can increase up to 50%. However, anyone has the risk of getting lupus. And we do see that even in the family, if it runs, those patients don't have the same severity of the disease. Some family members may have a mild disease while others have a very severe disease and end up for instance, if their kidneys are affected, they end up on hemodialysis. They don't respond to the treatment. It seems to me in general that the specialty of rheumatology has done a, a pretty bad job in publicizing themselves or promoting themselves, at least to the public. I wonder if primary care physicians realize that rheumatologists may be the direction that certain patients should go towards, uh, that, that it's not something that needs to be after orthopedics or after physiatry or after physical therapy, et cetera, et cetera. Are, are you finding that maybe they forget about you? Well, I think over time there's growing awareness and patients probably, they do see commercials on TV and they're being told if you have this the joint pain or swelling and then they advertise certain medications. I do happen to see even patients who uh, refer themselves to the rheumatologist when they've experienced significant uh, disabling symptoms, or it, it is a possibility sometimes there is a long wait time from the referral from a specialist or a primary care physician until a, a patient does see a rheumatologist.
Okay, so they don't have to go through their primary care physician. If they feel that they're not getting better, if they feel they have dysfunction and they're not getting relief in other specialties, maybe they should um, give you a call, huh? Yes, absolutely. They can do that. I mean, we do know there are some insurances that may require referral, but in cases that they do not, they can just come in for an evaluation. Yeah, because it's interesting. My, my wife is a physical therapist and she's had muscular pain for quite a while. And after, you know, years of going to an orthopedist and seeing a primary care physician, she did go to a rheumatologist and she did get some relief. You know, she also tried some holistic treatment. She tried acupuncture, which worked. Do you, do you work with acupuncturists typically? You know, we don't have an acupuncturist at uh, St. Barnabas. However, I do have patients who come in as well, and they have seen an acupuncturist, and they do report uh, very good relief. What about diet for any autoimmune disease? Does diet play a role? Generally, we encourage patients to eat a well-balanced diet with plenty of fruits and vegetables. Maintaining a healthy weight is recommended in order to, to be able to attain symptom control of their autoimmune disease with minimal medication requirement. This is very um, pertinent to rheumatoid arthritis and psoriatic arthritis. Another common condition that we treat, and it's an inflammatory arthritis, is gout. And the diet is often crucial to minimize the frequency of gouty flares. Those patients are strongly recommended to avoid the consumption of red meat, seafood, alcohol, high fructose corn syrup, since we know that these, the consumption of these food will increase the risk of flares. Do you find that's a good idea for other autoimmune diseases too, maybe to make some of these changes as well in your diet? Well, definitely alcohol and processed food, and it may be that some particular patients, and I've had them, it was more self-reported that they did feel a difference when they reduced the consumption of red meat and dairy. Uh, however, some other patients may not feel any difference. And what about, I know, you know, you talk about omega-3s and omega-6s and stuff like that. You know, some are inflammatory, supposedly, and some are anti-inflammatory. Do you get into that at all? These are supplements that are encouraged to take in general for patients' heart-healthy diet. And we do know that uh, patients with rheumatoid arthritis or psoriatic arthritis and even gout have an increase of cardiovascular diseases. So making sure that they are taking the supplements that could improve their health of the heart is crucial, but they do typically tend to have already have a cardiologist or their primary care physician has initiated the omega-3. As well, the research has shown that other supplements such as curcumin, an ingredient of turmeric, ginger, does have anti-inflammatory properties. However, right, just taking those medications may not be enough to re reduce the inflammation of a patient uh, that the patients are experiencing. They will require right, right. So, medication. Right, so it could help, but it's not going to make a breaking, so to That's speak. Right. I mean, if you have it, a case of an autoimmune disease, that in and of itself may not be a solution. Is that fair to say? Yes, that's correct. 
Thank you for your time today, Dr. Ganjaber. For more information on rheumatology services at SBH, call 718-960-1669. I'll give you that number again, 718-960-1669. For other services, visit www.sbhny.org. And thank you for joining us today. Until next time. Thank you.